Have you ever noticed that every month seems to bring a trendy new diet, and yet obesity rates continue to rise, and with it, a growing number of health problems? Uh, that's why I wrote my new book, How Not to Diet. Check it out at your local public library. Welcome to the Nutrition Facts Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger. It's time for the Nutrition Facts Grab Bag, where we look at the latest science on a whole variety of topics. First up, we look at the exotic star fruit. Did you know it contains a neurotoxin called caromboxin that can cause irreversible brain damage at high enough doses? Someone walks into the ER with intractable hiccups. One of the questions the emergency room physician should ask is, have you been eating star fruit? Excessive consumption of starfruit has been associated with the development of oxalate kidney damage, uh, less than a cup of starfruit juice, or three whole fruits. They're not that big, can result in acute starfruit nephrotoxicity. Ingestion of even modest quantities of starfruits can produce kidney problems. So it's essential to educate the public to avoid consuming starfruit, especially on an empty stomach or in a dehydrated state, to prevent starfruit nephrotoxicity. But what about the neurotoxicity? We've known for more than a quarter century now about the neurotoxic effects, but few seem to be familiar with the syndrome. It starts most commonly with hiccups, but then can rapidly worsen, especially in those with compromised kidney function to start out with. Why? Because the fruit contains a powerful neurotoxin that can accumulate in the blood, cross the blood-brain barrier, and eventually cause irreversible brain damage. The toxin itself, named caramboxin, is uh, normally excreted by the kidneys, and so is especially toxic to those with renal insufficiency, compromised kidney function, so much so that for those with severe chronic kidney disease, a single starfruit can put someone in seizures within three hours, a coma, and then death within three days. In a series of about 100 cases of toxicity, consumption ranged between just a half a starfruit up to 50, with an average of about four. Uh, but most of those had some sort of pre-existing kidney disease. The average number of starfruits eaten by the normal kidney function group before their toxic dose was more like 15. So people with normal kidney function may be more likely to suffer from kidney damage than brain damage, which starts at down around about four starfruit. The bottom line is that those with chronic kidney disease should avoid starfruit to avoid severe intoxication. In Brazil, where the fruit is popular, uh, there are actually laws to alert people about the risks. Because of the neurotoxin, starfruit should be prohibited for patients with chronic kidney disease, and even those with normal kidney function may want to avoid the fruit. Just something to think about before you reach for the stars. In our next story, we look at the industry's response to the charge that breakfast cereals are too sugary. In 1941, the American Medical Association's Council on Foods and Nutrition was presented with a new product, Vi Chocolate, a vitamin-fortified chocolate bar, offered ostensibly as a product of high nutritive value, but in reality intended for promotion to the public as a kind of vitaminized candy. Surely something like that couldn't happen today, but that's the entire sugary cereal industry's business model. Right? Twelve vitamins and minerals, 
way better than those marshmallow Fruit Loops with just a measly 11. Nutrients are added to breakfast cereals as a marketing gimmick to create an aura of healthfulness. If these same nutrients were added to soda, would we feed our kids Coke for breakfast? Uh, we might as well spray cotton candy with vitamins, too. As one medical journal editorial read, adding vitamins and minerals to sugary cereals is worse than useless. The subtle message is that somehow it's safe to eat more. General Mills Grow Up Strong with Big G Kids Cereals ad campaign featured products like Lucky Charms, Tricks, Cocoa Pops. Right? That's like the dairy industry promoting ice cream to get your calcium. Uh, kids who eat pre-sweetened breakfast cereals make up more than 20% of their daily calories from added sugar. Most sugar in the American diet comes from beverages like soda, but breakfast cereals represent the third largest food source of added sugars in the diets of children and adolescents, wedged between candy and ice cream. On a per-serving basis, there is more added sugar in a cereal like Frosted Flakes than there is in frosted chocolate cake brownies or a frosted donut. Kellogg and General Mills argue that breakfast cereals only contribute a relatively small amount of sugar to the diets of children, less than soda, for example. This is a perfect example of a psychological phenomenon known as diffusion of responsibility. That's like every restaurant in the country arguing that their individual contribution to the problem of secondhand smoke is relatively tiny, therefore they should be exempted from the smoking ban. Right? Each and every source of added sugar should be reduced. The industry argues that most of their cereals have less than 10 grams of sugar per serving, but when consumer reports measured how much youngsters actually poured, they were found to serve themselves about 50% more than the suggested serving size for most of the tested cereals. The average portion of Frosted Flakes they poured for themselves contained 18 grams of sugar, 4.5 teaspoons, or 6 sugar packets worth. It's been estimated that a child eating one serving a day of the average children's cereal would consume close to 10 pounds of sugar in a year, nearly 1,000 spoonfuls of sugar. General Mills offers the Mary Poppins defense, arguing that it's those spoonfuls of sugar that help the medicine go down, explaining that if sugar is removed from brand cereal, it would have the consistency of sawdust. If we couldn't add sugar, our cereals would be unpalatable. Hmm, if one has to add sugar to a product to make it edible, that should be a sign. That's a characteristic of so-called ultra-processed foods, where you have to pack them full of things like sugar, salt, flavorings, since they've had their natural intrinsic flavors processed out, and you have to kind of mask any unpleasantries in the final product. The president of the Cereal Institute has argued that without sugary cereals, kids might not eat breakfast at all, similar to dairy industry arguments that removing chocolate milk from school cafeterias would risk kids skipping lunch. He also stressed we must consider the alternatives. As Kellogg's director of nutrition once put it, I would suggest that Fruit Loops as a snack are much better than potato chips or a sweet roll. You know there's a problem when the only way to make your product look good is to compare it to Pringles and Cinnabon. Finally today, we examine how elevated levels of pro-inflammatory aging-associated oxylipids can be normalized by eating ground flaxseed. Previously, I've explored the potent antihypertensive effect of dietary flaxseed in hypertensive patients. Uh, this was a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial where they disguised ground flaxseed in baked goods versus like 
flax-free placebo muffins, and got an extraordinary drop in high blood pressures. As you can imagine, the flaxseed industry was overjoyed, praising the impressive findings, as was I. After all, high blood pressure is the single largest risk factor for death on the planet Earth. Yes, we give people medications, lots and lots of medications, but most people don't take them, as in 9 out of 10 people take less than 80% of the prescribed blood pressure pills, just 8%. It's not difficult to understand why. Patients are asked to follow an inconvenient, potentially costly regimen, which will likely have detrimental effect on their health-related quality of life, to treat a mostly asymptomatic condition, so they may feel worse instead of better due to the side effects. The answer, then, is to give them more drugs to counteract the effects of the first drugs, like giving men Viagra to counter the erectile dysfunction caused by their blood pressure pills. How about using a dietary strategy instead, especially if it can just be as effective? And indeed, the drop in blood pressures they got in the flaxseed study was greater than the average decrease observed with the standard dose of antihypertensive drugs. And flaxseeds are cheaper, too, compared to even single medications, and most patients are on multiple drugs, and has good side effects beyond their antihypertensive actions, but not all good. Taking tablespoons of flaxseed a day is a lot of fiber for people who have been you know, living off of cheeseburgers and milkshakes their whole lives, and it can take a little while for your gut bacteria to adjust to the new bounty. So people who start out with low-fiber diets may want to take it slow at first. Not all studies have shown significant blood pressure-lowering effects. There have been over a dozen trials by now involving more than 1,000 subjects, and though yes, you know, put them all together, and overall there were significant reductions in both systolic and diastolic blood pressures, the upper and lower numbers, following supplementation with various flaxseed products, none were as dramatic as that six-month trial. The longer trials tended to show better results, and some of the trials just used flaxseed oil or some kind of flaxseed extract. And the thought is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Each of the components of interest within flaxseed, the omega-3s, the, the cancer-fighting lignans, all the soluble fiber and plant proteins, all contribute toward the blood pressure reduction. Okay, but how? Why? What's the mechanism? Some common blood pressure medications, like Norvasc or Procardia, work by reducing the ability of the heart to contract, or slowing the heart down. And so it's possible that's how flaxseeds work too. But no, dietary flaxseed reduces blood pressure without cardiac involvement, but rather through changes in plasma oxylipins. What are oxylipins? Oxylipins are a group of fatty acid metabolites involved in inflammation, and as a result have been implicated in many pro-inflammatory conditions, including cardiovascular disease and aging. The best characterized oxylipins in relation to cardiovascular disease are derived from the long-chain omega-6 fatty acids, known as arachidonic acid, found preformed in animal products, particularly chicken and eggs, and can be made inside the body from junky omega-6 rich oils, such as cottonseed oil. But elevated levels of pro-inflammatory oxylipins in older subjects are normalized by flaxseed consumption. See, that's how he thinks flaxseed consumption reduces blood pressure in patients with hypertension, by inhibiting the enzyme that makes these pro-inflammatory oxylipins. I'll spare you from the 
acronym overload, but basically eating flaxseeds inhibits the activity of the enzyme that makes these pro-inflammatory oxylipins called leukotoxin diols, which in turn may lower blood pressure. Identifying the molecular mechanisms adds confidence to the antihypertensive actions of dietary flaxseed, but that's not all oxylipins do. Oxylipins may play a role in the aging process, but we may be able to beneficially disrupt these biological changes associated with inflammation and aging with nutritional intervention like flaxseed. Older adults around age 50 have higher levels of these arachidonic acid-derived oxylipins compared to younger adults around age 20. These elevated concentrations of pro-inflammatory oxylipins in the older age group may help explain the higher levels of inflammation in older versus younger individuals. I mean, as we get older, right, we're more likely to be stricken with inflammatory conditions like arthritis. So this elevation of pro-inflammatory oxylipins may predispose individuals to chronic disease conditions. But what if you took these older adults and gave them muffins, ground flaxseed-containing muffins? Four weeks later, their levels dropped down to like 20-year-old levels, demonstrating that a potential therapeutic strategy to correct the deleterious pro-inflammatory oxylipin profile is via dietary supplementation with flax. We would love it if you could share with us your stories about reinventing your health through evidence-based nutrition. Go to nutritionfacts.org forward slash testimonials. We may share it on our social media to help inspire others. See any graphs, charts, graphics, images, or studies mentioned here? Please go to the Nutrition Facts podcast landing page. There you'll find all the detailed information you need, plus links to all the sources we cite for each of these topics. For recipes, check out my How Not to Die cookbook. It's beautifully designed with more than 100 recipes for delicious and nutritious meals, and all proceeds I receive from the sales of my books goes to charity. NutritionFacts.org is a nonprofit, science-based public service where you can sign up for free daily updates on the latest in nutrition research via bite-sized videos and articles. Everything on the website is free. There's no ads, no corporate sponsorship. It's strictly non-commercial. I'm not selling anything. I just put it up as a public service, as a labor of love, as a tribute to my grandmother, whose own life was saved with evidence-based nutrition. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Facts. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger.